Hello, and welcome to the Hope Brooklyn Weekly Sermon Podcast. Hope Brooklyn is a community of faith in Brooklyn, New York, that believes wherever you are in your spiritual journey, there's room at the table. Thanks for listening, and enjoy this week's sermon. Um, and yeah, so uh, I'm going to jump into our message today. Um, I'm extremely nervous. Um, Public Speaking 101 tells you not to say that you're nervous to the crowd, but uh, I'm nervous, and uh, I actually didn't do too well in my public speaking class. That's the second thing I shouldn't tell you about. Uh, so uh, just be patient with me and bear with me. I'm going to butcher a lot of words. Uh, my mind thinks a lot faster than I'm speaking, so I end up combining two words together. Um, so you guys will have to try to decipher that as I preach. Um, but yeah, if you guys don't mind, if we just pray together um, before we start. Uh, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for um, giving us a space to gather. Uh, we thank you for giving us a space to be able to just explore um, your tremendous grace and the depth of your love. Um, Father, we pray that our hearts may be open to you, um, that we may be just receptive of your truth, of your message. Um, and Father, I pray that we may leave with just deep convictions um, to love you more and to just to recognize the great love that you have for us. Uh, Father, I'm not standing here by my own righteousness, but it's by your grace, your power, and your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, so yeah, usually the past few years I've been used to kind of like having the lead pastor tell me what the sermon series is and how, you know, I just pick one of the topics and I just fit into the mold of it. Um, but Russ told me to just, uh, you know, pick whatever I felt like my heart was compelled to preach about. And the topic that I landed on is actually not a topic that I thought I was going to preach on, um, just because... You know, I'm, I'm not the type that kind of is like marveled by beauty. Um, so it was very ironic that I landed on this passage. But for some reason, throughout the summer and th- throughout the season, um, this has been a message that God's been really compelling in my heart to kind of understand just the deep beauty and intimacy of God. And so I titled my sermon today, Provoking Beauty. And I just wanted to start off this one, one question. What do we find deeply beautiful? Um, another way we kind of phrase this question is, what captivates our hearts. Um, Matt Chandler, a pastor at a church in Texas, he loves a saying where it says, what stirs our affections, right? Like, what do we find deeply beautiful, amazing? What do we find that's worthy of our reverence and awe? Um, and I think every one of us in this room have some sort of um, answer, and I don't think anyone's answer um, is similar to the other. I think we all have this um, truth and this reality that there are beautiful things in this world. No matter how broken, no matter how messy, no matter how disastrous we may look at the world today and see all the painful things that are going on, there are things that bring us joy, life, and beauty. And so we are undeniably people that are constantly searching for beauty. We can't help it. Um, we just have this angst to see something that will um, put us in, uh, in awe and wonder. Um, and each of us find beauty in different places. Some of us might find it in nature. Um, I'm not a big nature dude. Um, um, if you've gone to any of the fall retreats in the past um, with Hope, uh, we go on this little hiking trip. Um, I went on it the first year with my wife, and um, I think I ruined the experience for her because I'm like, when are we coming down? <laughs> <laughs> While I saw other members just literally just wandering off the trails into the woods, like looking at the bushes and stuff like that. Um, the second year, uh, my wife was like, you do your thing, I'm gonna go hiking. So I just played basketball. Um, but nature is not my thing. And, but ironically, I had this one trip to Phoenix, Arizona, 
And uh, obviously, while we're there, we visited the Grand Canyon, and my friends and I, it was, a, it, was a, it was a pastor's conference, and we drove through the middle of the night. We got to the Grand Canyon while it was like pitch black. We couldn't, we couldn't see where we're supposed to get off. Um, but eventually, we got there, and we went there early enough to watch the sunrise. And I think we, I went with the wrong group, or they went with the wrong person, because initially, I didn't really appreciate much of what was going on. A um, lot of people were like, with, you know, with the significant others, they're like taking pictures. Um, the sunrise came and we're like, all right, let's get back in the car. Um, but there was, <laughs> there was some of us in the group that were like, no, we need to enjoy this a little bit. And so there are three, there are three guys on, the, on this, uh, in this venture, and I think we ruined the experience not just for our group, but for everyone else in the mountain. Because like, there's like this beauty and awe that everyone's just like, it's just silence. Everyone's just witnessing, like, the sun rising over the canyon and everything coming into light. Meanwhile, the group of us uh, were planking on the cliff. Uh, if you guys don't know what planking is, it was pretty big. It was a big phase where you just, like, lay down flat on the floor, and we're just planking on the edges of the Grand Canyon. And we're just screaming because we're in fear of our life. We're like, take the picture quick! And, you know, significant others, like, cuddling each other in blankets. And I think we ruined the experience for everyone there, so do not go on any nature trips with me. Um, some of us find beauty in art, um, in fashion, architects. Some of us find it in sports. Um, I'm a huge, huge sports fan, so the, one of the most beautiful things to me is watching Kobe Bryant shoot a jump shot. Um, some of us find beauty in friendships. Um, many of us find beauty in community and generosity. Um, there are so many ways that we get to witness beauty in this world. And you know, we, we, we have, we're people, we're created to just be amazed and in awe. We're looking for wonder. Um, and I love watching these uh, YouTube clips and, you know, Instagram clips of children being amazed by the smallest things. Um, and I, I know I'm going to be, um, a, not, not a horrible father, but I'm going to be one of those dads that, like, have a whole bunch of my kids terrified. Because there's a clip of children um, opening up jack-in-the-boxes. And these kids, their expressions are of horror and fright as these things pop out, just hysterically crying, and the parents are enjoying every moment <laughs> of witnessing this. Um, but especially as children, everything is, there's wonder, right? And I think as we grow and, you know, we become, quote-unquote, mature or become adults, we begin to figure things out. So it loses that wonder, it loses that kind of, like, shock factor. And we were less and less in awe. Um, and especially the way that social media is functioned and how you know, we get to receive news and pictures and images and videos so quickly, we lose this awe and wonder in our lives. And I want to make a disclaimer that as I um, continue to share and teach on this idea of beauty, I don't want us to ever feel like it's wrong to be searching for beauty and wonder. It's just how we were created. In Genesis 131, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And it seems like such a simple passage, but this idea of good, God, does, that, God didn't create everything and look at it and be like, everything's functional, this is good, right? Because that's like how my mind works, right? Like when I make something, when I see something, if it's functional, if it's efficient, it's, it's good. But when God created all things and he took a step back and said it was good, the, the word is this Hebrew word tov, it's beauty, it's wonder. He stepped back and he saw that it was beautiful. He saw that it was good. 
And so in, when we see this passage, you recognize that beauty was created in us when we, we became the image of the living God. There's beauty within each and every single one of us that we reflect, and also there's beauty that we're constantly hungering for. Our hearts were originally created to adore, recognize, and revere the beauty of God and His creation. It's kind of like that feeling when we see, you know, something that's beautifully constructed. When we see architecture, when we see design, when we see fashion, when we see art, we see this amazing piece and we marvel at how it was created. When we see children, um, and uh, recently um, my wife's cousin gave birth, and it was the first time, you know, we got, went to the hospital literally hours after she gave birth, and it was the first time that I got to hold a baby that wasn't even a day old. And it was just, it, was, it blew my mind how we as humans can create another human being, a baby like that. It was just, it was just it was, I was in awe and I was just amazed by it. And I think our hearts were created to operate in that way. And back in the 1600s, there's something called the Westminster Catechism. And pretty much this is when England and Scotland were at odds. And especially through, you know, the church, there was a lot of differences. There was civil war going on. And so both nations decided, okay, let's come together. A bunch of laymen, a bunch of ministers come together and create this catechism, right? It's, it's like statements of faith of, that, that we can agree on and that we can operate the church through. And it's this enormous catechism. And it was just months and months of them meeting together and gathering together. But the first question that they ask is, what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. See, we were, in, we were created to enjoy God. We were created to just marvel at his beauty. We were created to enjoy his creation. You know, when, when God created Adam and Eve and all the things in the world, he didn't tell Adam and Eve, do not touch anything, right? He, there was one, th one command that he gave, but he said everything here is, is for you to enjoy. The garden, the animal, you know, all of creation. We were, we were created to enjoy those things. But however, as sin entered the scene, God's plan and all the things, all his intentions were disrupted. There was brokenness that happened. And as sin comes into play, beauty becomes corrupted. As sin comes into the scene, how we enjoy beauty is disrupted. How we see beauty is corrupted. See, it perverts and distorts God's intended plans for humanity. Sin leads us to look at the created things as the ultimate thing and not the creator as the ultimate one. We look at all the created things and we just settle for the beauty that we physically can see, witness, and touch. Rather than acknowledging God for his beautiful creation and him being the creator, the mastermind behind, behind all this, we settle for the creation. And uh, Russell um, shared this quote with me um, as he was looking over my sermon. I'm going to butcher this name. My wife's in... I practiced like a thousand times last night, and she knows I'm going to butcher it right now. It's a quote by Fyodor Dostoevsky. I totally butchered it. So if you guys know who he is, then you know. <laughs> but here's a quote, all right? Um, the awful thing is that beauty is mysterious as well as terrible. God and the devil are fighting there, and the battlefield is the heart of man. Beauty is something that can be so amazing and beautiful, but something, it could be painful and distorted. 
And in Romans 1.25, Apostle Paul talks about the fall of creation and the reason why our hearts are so conditioned to lean towards sin versus God, the creator. And this is Paul talking to the church. It says, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. Our hearts have this tendency to exchange God for cheaper imitations of the creator. Our hearts have this tendency to forget God. And, you know, we look through the Old Testament and we can recognize how can the people of God, how can the Israelites forget the amazing and tremendous things that God has done for them? He's, he's provided food from the sky. He's, he's delivered them from slavery. He's brought them into the promised land. But time and time again, they settle for cheap imitations of God. They choose the idols over the beautiful creator. It's because, because of sin, our hearts are conditioned to lean towards the idols. Our hearts are conditioned to exchange God, the glory of God, the beauty of God for created things. And when beauty becomes a God, it becomes destructive to our heart and soul. And let me give just a couple examples. Um, first is, we take a, we look at vanity with a high emphasis. Vanity above all else. And I'm, you know, our culture today, I think, you know, I don't even really make a big case for it, but we can, we can see that vanity has such a strong hold of our hearts. Our outer appearances, our, what we project to others, the image that others see is so important to us, no matter how much we like to tell ourselves that it doesn't matter. Um, you know, every time I, I, I step up in front of a crowd, I have to convince myself that I'm not working for the approval of others. But and honestly, I have a thousand fears going through my head. All right, that's another thing in public speaking to tell you not to do. But I have a thousand, I look at, you know, the crowd, I look at people's faces, I, it, it, it impacts me. Oh, what do people think about this? What do people think about that? Oh, that was a bad point. I could see in that person's face. This person's sleeping. This person, you know, like it's just, I, there's so many things racing through my head. But vanity has such a high culture. And uh, I got to experience this firsthand because I, I did youth ministry for about nine years um, at one church. And man, if you want to know how people really think about you, you got to talk to teenagers. Because <laughs> A, um, they lie about everything, but they won't lie about who you are. Um, so if I bombed a sermon, they made sure that I knew. Um, <laughs> And, you know, I'm, I'm not really big on social media. Like, if you want to follow my life, you got to follow my wife's life. It's just, I, once I got married, I just integrated everything over to her. I handed over all the responsibilities to her. Um, so, but, you know, for youth especially, and even adults, like, our social media and the, the platforms has such a big control of our lives. And I remember a student told me that I had to take a po one of my Instagram posts down. I was like, why, did I offend anyone? Like, was it offensive? Like, did I say something wrong? Like, is there a picture that I shouldn't have posted? They're like, you don't have 150 likes. I was like, say what? <laughs> I don't even have 150 followers. Like, you know, they're like, you don't have 150 likes. And like, if you don't have 150 likes, you have to archive it. You have to get rid of it. I was like, what? You know, I'm not posting for you guys. And I'm like, in reality, I'm like, I am posting for you guys. But, and then they had this thing called Finsta. I don't know if you've ever heard of Finsta. Okay, it's a fake Instagram, but here's the irony of this. Your Finsta is to project who you really are. Okay, this is the real you, like the sloppy, you know, the, you know, the no makeup, like no filter. This is like the crazy, authentic you, but 
that is considered the fake Instagram, right? But our real accounts are not the real us. And I think that's such a powerful metaphor of how our lives are projected to everybody else. The real us that we project, the quote-unquote real us, is not the genuine, authentic person that we are. The fake person is the one that when nobody's watching, when no one's hearing our thoughts and we're just left to our own you know, mind, what's going on up in here. But you know, we live in a culture that we're so hungry for authenticity. We're dying to be genuine. And the irony is that when we are genuine, when we are authentic, we are outcasted, we're marginalized. And so we have this culture of vanity where beauty is not who we really are, but beauty is who we project to be. And we work so hard, the time and the money and the, the energy that we spend on the self-image that we create for others. Because we recognize there's a standard of beauty out there, and I need to measure up to that. I need to measure up to what people consider beautiful. And then we, we hunger for it, and we fight for it, and we fight for that title, we fight for that affection. Because somehow we believe that that's what makes us bold. That's what makes us confident to be beautiful. So we hide our brokenness, we hide our shamefulness, and the pieces of our lives that are broken so that we can project the perfect, beautiful us. And when we look for beauty through the scopes of our prejudice and selfishness, we begin to value beauty as the supreme thing. And Tim Keller from Redeemer, he always talks about this. It's not that these things are bad. It's not that beauty is bad. But when it becomes the ultimate thing, when it becomes the supreme thing, when it becomes our God, that's when it becomes destructive. When we value beauty as a supreme thing, we value sex and pornography as the ultimate beauty rather than, rather than discovering the deep intimacy of the individual. We value fashion and design. And if anything doesn't meet to that standard, we become very pretentious. These things don't, you know, you're not up to par. You don't qualify. When we see images of beauty, you know, sometimes something simple might be beautiful to us. But when it's not beautiful to others, we kind of hide that piece to ourselves. We're afraid to be authentic because we value beauty above all else. And ultimately, when we look for beauty in the broken in a, in a broken and hurt world, it does two things. First thing is it, it will depreciate our value in beauty because we will never match up to the standards. I don't know if you guys ever felt that way, where you, like, you, know, you fought so hard to kind of change your image, to match the image of what is acceptable, right? And my wife and I have this running joke that I'm not hipster enough for Brooklyn. Um, and so as we're praying about planting a church, I'm like, okay, I'm going to plant a church that's for all the non-hipsters, right? <laughs> like, when, if you don't feel cool, <laughs> this is the place to be. Uh, and when we go shopping now, my, my, my clothes, it's not about what feels comfortable, it's about what will look good, <laughs> you know? Um, and so, you know, it depreciates our value and our self-beauty and the true beauty that is in ourselves that God created, that we were in his image because we're always fighting, looking to the next standard. And the unfortunate thing is, the world's standards are so subjective, and it changes overnight. Fashion changes overnight. 
What's considered art changes overnight. The second thing it does is it will leave us, it will leave an angst in our hearts to know true beauty because it will never fully satisfy our wonder. I don't know if you ever felt that way when we were searching for beauty and community, and I love fellowship and I love community. And there's so many beautiful and rich things that come out of our communities and things like our tables. But as we're planning our tables and shaping a community for our church and for, you know, our neighborhoods in Brooklyn, we had to continually come back to the reminder that Jesus has to be central. It cannot just be another hangout. It cannot just be another social gathering. Because yes, we'll find rich friendships through that, but the true beauty lies when we discover the community centered around Jesus Christ. Otherwise, we're going to be left every time with this little bit of hunger, this angst that something's missing. This is good, but it's not fully there. And so when we look for beauty in a broken world, it's going to leave us, leave us with this constant hunger and, and angst. However, when we look at Jesus, he had a constant theme of making beauty from ashes. And this is one of my favorite quotes in 1 Corinthians 1, uh, 26, 31. It's by it's Apostle Paul writing to the church. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the desired things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. What could be more beautiful than boasting in our weaknesses? I don't think there is anything more beautiful and rich than being able to be proud of the broken lives that we lived. I don't think there's anything more beautiful than looking back at our past shame and our, our failures and knowing that it's redeemed by Jesus Christ. That we don't have to fear our mistakes. That we don't have to fear our imperfections. We don't have to fear being exposed. But in genuine authenticity with one another, we get, we get to boast in our weaknesses. We get to boast in our temptations. We get to boast in our struggles. We get to boast in our doubt. Because we know that our confidence lies in Jesus Christ. We know that our confidence and our true beauty rests in the work of what Christ has done. And like I said, Jesus had this tendency to take, make beauty out of ashes. And the cross is the ultimate example of that. And when I was younger, I used to always contemplate, why couldn't Jesus have died any other way, right? It wasn't just simply because the cross was the, you know, the form of execution that Jesus needed to take. I'm like, man, he could have chosen a lot less painful and humiliating death, right? And he could have still done the atonement. But there's something powerful when Jesus takes the cross, which during the culture and during the time was the most feared thing. I mean, these Roman soldiers would lie, the Roman empire will line up the pathway into the city with corpses hanging on a cross as a sign saying, you will fear us. An execution that was so excruciating and so humiliating that it was outlawed for Roman citizens to die that way. It was reserved for the worst of the worst. 
It was reserved so that people can receive the message, do not mess with us. But Jesus took something that was humiliating, excruciating, feared, and made it something beautiful. He made it something that we can be proud of. He took the cross as a symbol of our lives, that he can take the most broken and run down thing and the most messed up thing and make it beautiful. Only Jesus could do that. When I first came to Christ, um, I attended church my entire life. Um, you know, my mom would drag me out to church. She's here today. Um, people ask, you know, oh, you, you dressed up because you're preaching. I'm like, no, I dressed up because my mom's coming. Um, <laughs> single immigrant mother, holy fear of God has been ingrained in me. <laughs> if I don't wear a belt and shoes, I'm being struck down. Um, but, you know, she, <laughs> I totally lost my point. Um, she brought me to church ever since I was a child. You know, she, she till this day, she um, lectures me to read my Bible and pray. <laughs> but um, as I grew up in the church, I had, this, I had the understanding of God. Um, I was able to recite scripture. Um, I, the only trophies I have is from um, memorizing Bible scriptures. Um, <laughs> not for sports, nothing else. Just I'm very proud of that. Um, so I grew up in the church culture. But it wasn't until I was 17 years old, 16, 17 years old, my junior year in high school, where I felt just completely lonely, lost, I had no value. I felt like I had no value, no purpose. Um, I felt like I had no self-worth. And I just, and even in a sea of people, in a group of friends, I just felt so lonely. And I remember being in a very broken place. And it's amazing how Jesus always meets us in that broken place. And in that place, I remember just sitting there on a Friday night youth service. Um, and honestly, we went to Friday night youth service to gather together. And then once the pastor started praying before he preached, we left. Um, and so he, it was to his surprise that when he opened his eyes that I was still sitting there. Um, but something compelled me to be there. Um, looking back in hindsight, obviously it was the Holy Spirit. But something compelled me to be there. And I remember that evening just meeting Christ. And it wasn't because all the facts of Christianity came together. It was because I recognized the beauty of Christ. I remember looking at that cross and him reminding me that in my broken place that I have infinite value, that I have purpose, and that I was created in the image of God, that there's a beauty in me that no one in this world can ever rob me of. And I remember just looking at the cross and just weeping. And it wasn't like weeping because I was just sad and I felt guilty. There was this weeping of joy because I've got to recognize the cross and the full beauty of the cross for the first time in 17 years, although I grew up in church. And every day, I, I'm going to be honest with you, it's not easy. Every day I need to fight and to remind myself of that beauty because there's so many things in this world that will rob me of that beauty. It will remind me, the world will constantly tell me that these things are more precious than Jesus Christ. That their, their, their social status is my reputation how people view me is more precious than how the Father in heaven views me. And I have to fight for that reminder every day. And that is why I pray, not because I'm pious, not because I'm religious or I'm a good Christian or because I'm a pastor. I pray because I need my heart to be reminded of how precious our Lord and Savior is. See, Jesus takes something that is absolutely broken and run down and makes it beautiful. And so what? When we see the true beauty in Jesus Christ, we're finally freed from the vanity of this world. 
we're free to be the real us. We don't need to create fake accounts. You know, the account that we created to come into church, that we project to others, the account that we create when we walk into work, I need to be this person today. When we gather with our family, I need to be this person today. When I come into tables, I need to be this person today. But the fact that we can just simply be us because we're freed from that vanity when we recognize the beauty of Christ in our lives. We no longer desire to worship the creation, but we worship, we worship and desire the creator. He becomes our ultimate supreme thing that we love and we adore. He is the one that is worthy of our adoration and our reverence. And this is my divine hope. Uh, two final closing things. Be reminded today that God has, a, God has placed a tremendous beauty in each and every single one of us. I know it's hard to see because it's not in front of us. And I think that's why we need to spend those moments in prayer of God and looking through the word and scripture, not because we need to do it because we're a Christian, but because the scriptures will remind us the beauty that Jesus sees in us. We pray because during those moments, the Holy Spirit reminds us that we have worth, that we have value, that we have purpose. And secondly, as a community of faith, our mission as redeemed people is to help others discover that beauty. Um, and there's one last image. Um, this is in 2007. This is my uh, first year in Greek class. And in the middle, you see uh, the only non-young man. Um, his name was Professor Wesley Smith. And he was the president of our, our Bible college, but he came back many decades later to teach Greek. Um, and he was like in his 80s. And I'm going to be honest, we learned absolutely nothing from him. <laughs> he was one of the worst Greek professors because he was just so old. He just didn't care. Um, we're like, why does that word parse that way? He's like, you just know it, right? <laughs> he just gave us like 100 vocab words to learn each day. Um, but what he did share with us was 60 years of ministry experience. Um, and this was in front of a steakhouse. Um, because we just sat in class one day. He's like, are you guys hungry? We're like, yes. He's like, let's go. <laughs> so we just went to a steakhouse and he cheated us all out. Um, and so we took this picture. And um, unfortunately, a few years after I graduated, he passed away. Um, and I, we, every single one of us in the class remember this one um, specific class where we asked him, what is the hardest thing you ever had to do in your ministry career? And he said, it had to be a funeral for a baby that was this big. He says he remember he's, him visually seeing that casket and all the notes that he prepared for that funeral went out the window. And he just remembers seeing the mother weeping. And then he was praying, God, what do I do? And then the quote on the bottom, make Jesus visible, believable, and beautiful to this woman today. And, that, and for that, I think every one of us in the class that has gone to ministry, that is our mission. That as I preach, that as I just talk with people, and any interaction I have, whether it's believers or non-believers, my mission has to be, I want to make Jesus visible, believable, and beautiful in their lives. No matter how broken, no matter how, you know, how much guilt is covered in their lives, in my life, as redeemed people, as people who have experienced the beauty of God and the beauty of the cross, one way we constantly will see that beauty is when we help others discover that same type. So remind others that you were created in the image of God. 
and that he has covered you in his sacrifice and his blood so that you can be reminded of that every day. And I'm going to invite the worship team if they can come up. And, and like I said, as people living in a broken, fallen world, our hearts are going to constantly contend for other things that are beautiful. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's, it's you know, God created the world, like I said in the beginning, God created the world and all of the things so that we can see the amazing wonder of who he is. All I'm asking is that we don't stop with the creation, but continue to take that deeper step forward and look at the creator. See, when Jesus performed his miracles, it wasn't just simply so that people can be in awe and wonder of the miracles he performed, but Jesus performed those miracles of healing so that people can see that one day, it's a tasting, it's a sample of the kingdom of God where there will be no sickness, there will be no disease, there will be no brokenness. That when we stand in front of the gates of heaven and witness God in all his glory and wonder, we're just going to be amazed and worship for eternity. And so today, um, if we can just all, um, if you feel comfortable, just close our eyes and let's just take a moment to pray. Maybe just pause everything that's going on in our lives, just remove all those hindrances and distractions and just ask for the peace of God to rest on our hearts and just pray, God, Show me your beauty. Show me your wonder. And as God saw all of creation and saw that it was good, let's ask the Lord that our hearts may see it the same way. Thanks again for tuning in to this week's sermon. To find out more about the mission and ministry of Hope Brooklyn, details about Sunday worship and brunch, to subscribe to our other podcasts, and lots more, visit us online at www.hopebrooklyn.org.